Welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to three vital CBT techniques for OCD. Free clients from the tyranny of obsessive-compulsive disorder. Why do you throw breadcrumbs outside your front door every day? To keep the tigers away. But there aren't any tigers. Yes, effective, isn't it? And that's a traditional joke. So the mind can become its own slave. And we can become superstitious about reality. Kathy was obsessive, compulsive. She had the careworn, joyless, exhausted, but agitated look I've seen so often in those who have obsessive compulsive disorder. She said, I just have to swallow a certain number of times before leaving or entering the house. So I asked her, you know, how many times is that? 500 times. It always gives me a stomach ache, but that's nothing. I take an hour to leave for work in the morning before I can even get to the swallowing phase of my day. I go back and forth, back and forth, checking the front door, checking it's closed, checking it's locked over and over. So I asked her, you know, how do you know when to stop checking? And Kathy looked as though she hadn't really thought about that. Okay, no one had asked her how the checking phase came to an end. Well, I just sort of, it's like I'm done with it. It's like I don't care whether the damn thing's shut or locked anymore. Because if I don't go now, I'll be late for work. Something inside me just knows I've checked enough, although I can still worry about it during the day. So Kathy was one of millions who suffer from obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD. And once the twisted tendrils of this condition take hold, they don't let go, at least not without a fight. Okay, So practitioners can often feel uh, stuck when treating OCD, this most malevolent of emotional conditions. But there are ways to help unravel the hold this condition has on our clients, and maybe even cure it for good. So what exactly are we dealing with when we seek to unhook obsessive compulsive disorder in our clients? OCD, the malevolent tyrant. Obsessive compulsive disorder is driven by anxiety. It's fueled by stress. It's a stress condition. It's generated by stress and maintained by stress. But it's also a faulty way of trying to deal with anxieties. If I carry out the ritual, maybe I can placate the gods enough to leave me alone and keep me safe. That's the kind of feeling behind it. The sufferer feels compelled to carry out rituals repeatedly, hand washing, clearing their throat or washing their hands until they're red raw. The person may not be able to think about anything other than the ritualistic agenda. OCD makes people feel they have no choice, no volition, but to cave to the demands of their obsessive preoccupations. So what's more, OCD seems to confer comforts, at least initially. Do this or that enough and a terrible fate can be averted. But, as with any repetitive behaviour, habituation gradually kicks in. And that means the more you do, the more you have to do to get the same effect or the same reassurance. 50 hand washes turns into 70, turns into 100, and so on. But of course, while obsessions and compulsions are connected, and one often leads to the other, they're not quite the same thing. 
some common obsessions and compulsions. So many of us obsess occasionally, go round and round in our heads. The extent to which we can relax about obsessive imaginings, stand aside from them and let them fade as mindfulness training teaches us, determines the likelihood that obsessive thoughts will morph into compulsive actions. And the extent to which we can check out the validity of the obsessive imagination with the brain's calm prefrontal neocortex determines the extent that we actually buy into our own imaginings, or whether we just don't take much notice of them. Common obsessive thoughts involve focus on orderliness and symmetry, Focus on dirt or contamination by germs. Imagining a mistake has been made or might be made. Fear of sinful or evil thoughts. Fear of doing or saying something inappropriate, such as shouting in a library, okay, or swearing at school children or something like that. Getting mentally stuck on certain ideas, numbers, words, and images that won't go away. Fear of harming another person, despite having no intention to do so. Perhaps someone very vulnerable. And interestingly, I've never known or uh, of anybody who obsessed about hurting others who actually did hurt someone else. So many of these thoughts don't turn into behavioral compulsions. So typical compulsions include collecting or hoarding objects, obsessively, and feeling that you can't let go of them, repeated hand-washing or bathing, okay, uh, or excessive bathing, I should say, arranging the, the surroundings in a specific way, repeating particular words or phrases over and over, performing tasks a certain number of times, constant counting, continually checking things such as that doors have been locked or that the oven is switched off and so forth. The important thing to consider on this last point is that checking doesn't help because the evidence of the senses is overridden by the doubts engendered by the imagination. On the rock, paper, scissors level, imagination will always trump thoughts in gaining and locking our attention because it's aligned with emotion and emotion demands attention. So why do people develop OCD in the first place? Why do it? There certainly seems to be some innate personality traits that predispose people to OCD, such as neuroticism, the personality trait of neuroticism, easily feeling negative emotion, and proneness to maladaptive perfectionism. But it's also important to consider what needs OCD seems to meet for the person. Some people report feeling uh, disassociated or tranced out during times of obsessive ritual. They might report that an hour of hand-washing seems like five minutes, or that their usual life just fades away during these times, and they become sort of mesmerized by what they're doing. So when we enter trance, we escape from our usual mode of consciousness. For some people, their usual state of mind isn't a very nice place to be. So the trance state of compulsive checking may be a way of escaping everyday life in some way. But there's another need that OCD may seem to promise to complete. Who's controlling whom? As well as feeling safe, another vital human emotional need is to feel that we have some control over our lives. OCD often starts with the concept uh, or the feeling, if I do this, then that will or won't happen. Disasters can be averted and catastrophes avoided. 
destiny can be controlled. But of course, after a time, these obsessive compulsions start to control the person who actually has them. So what they were using to, to help them feel more control actually starts to make them feel more out of control. Uh, we may all have the occasional obsessive thought or action, but when people are in the throes of OCD, their whole life can start to centre on its tyrannical, unreasonable, whip-cracking agenda. But there's something else we need to understand about OCD. The effects of the toxic imagination. Obsessive-compulsive disorder isn't a thinking disorder. It's a feeling disorder. The feelings produce the, th the thoughts, not the other way around, or we might call it an imagination disorder. This isn't to say that cognitive behavioral therapy for OCD is useless, you know, catching thoughts and challenging them, and of course deliberately changing behavior, can certainly disrupt the pattern of OCD and make it easier to learn how not to succumb to it and give people strategies. And I wouldn't be offering my favorite um, CBT techniques for the condition if I didn't feel that CBT held some value for the treatment of OCD, of course. But any cognitive approach must be part of a wider understanding of how emotions drive human beings. The old thought produces feeling idea is dead in the water when it comes to really strong feelings. See reference one below this video. We need to look at the role not just of thoughts, but of the imagination when it comes to any emotional condition. Recent research found that not only are obsessive compulsives disassociated from reality during the trance of obsessionality, and therefore not necessarily thinking at all, but they also have uh, or also rely heavily on their imagination as a guide to reality. See reference to below. So this tendency to mix fantasy with reality, known as uh, inferential confusion, makes a person believe their fantasy over immediate perceptions of reality. Okay, they, they look to the re their imagination for a reality check rather than the reality itself. So they may see that their hands are clean, but imagine that they're contaminated. So once we stop taking our cues from observable reality, we come prey to our, to our own imaginations. The imagination is a major player in the formation and maintenance of OCD, above and beyond beliefs and mood states. The obsessive doesn't think their hands are contaminated, but they feel that their hands are contaminated. This is an important distinction and shows us why just trying to deal with the thinking part of an emotional difficulty can be slow, laborious, and ineffective. If I imagine the plane I'm about to take off in is going to crash, I may not think it will, but I might feel that it will. Okay, there is a distinction. We need to calm down feelings before we can challenge thoughts. This is why all CBT therapists need to know how to calm feelings. As long as the pool of water is still churning, there can be no clear reflection of actually what is there in reality. OCD isn't just a thought disorder. OCD is a disorder of the imagination. So since clinical hypnosis is a useful way of accessing and helping people learn to control their imaginations, increasing numbers of practitioners are using hypnosis as part of OCD treatment. Hypnosis can be a hugely powerful way of treating OCD because essentially the condition itself is hypnotic. People with OCD can be seen as phobic of not carrying out a ritual. If we can help them relax deeply as they imagine, say, washing their hands, not a hundred times, but only once, we can help them relax with moving away from the prop of the ritual, which is really a stick to beat themselves. So sometimes I, I will uh, use the 
uh, rewind method, a method usually used for the quick and comfortable resolution of phobias and post-traumatic stress disorder. Once we assuage the anxiety, we can look at helping our clients gain a sense of greater control in their lives. And it's at that point in treatment that we can start to address thoughts and behaviors. So with all that in mind, here are my three favorite CBT techniques for obsessive compulsive disorder. Technique one, find the underlying need. Once we've taught our client to relax deeply, we can consider to what extent the OCD has been a sloppy attempt at meeting their primal emotional needs and teach the client what that means. We can mentally rehearse with them a typical time in which the obsessive compulsion rears its head using the SALT technique. So the SALT technique is stop and focus on what's happening, ask the OCD what it's trying to do for you right now, listen to what it's trying to do for you, such as trying to make you feel safe or in control of your life, Think of three ways you could feel safer or more in control outside of the OCD and write them down. Okay. So, for example, if we have uh, taught the client a breathing technique for fast relaxation or self-hypnosis, these are other ways they can relax and meet the need to feel safe and secure outside of the OCD. To relax is really just to feel safe. We can also look at how they can meet their basic emotional needs in more healthy ways more generally so that the raison d'etre of the OCD starts to fall away. Technique number two, focus on and trust observable reality. Because OCD drives people to misuse their imaginations and then prejudiciously prioritize fantasy over observable reality, it can be useful to help people Focus on the here and now. One exercise I sometimes do with people experiencing OCD is to have them close their eyes, tell them I'm going to clap, and ask them to tell me when I've actually clapped, and when, between real claps, they've just imagined that I've clapped. I've never had anyone be unable to distinguish the real claps from the imagined sounds of clapping. And this exercise builds the client's confidence in starting to trust their senses over their imaginings. Then I'll have them relax deeply and envisage typical times that the OCD tries to impose its will, because it's not really their will, and find they can trust their eyes to know that the door is locked or that their hands are clean, and it's enough. We can ask them to focus on three things they can actually see, say a door, a window, and another person. They can then run through in their mind three things about the door. It's yellow, it's locked, it's about seven feet high. Three things about the window, and so on. This is a distraction technique, yes, but it's also a way of moving from imagination to observation. Okay, observing actual reality and not taking their cues simply from their imagination. The more calmly the person can rehearse doing this in their mind, the easier it will be when the OCD tries it on with them. And this brings me to the last technique. Technique number three, externalize the OCD. So yes, it's a cliche to say you are not the OCD, but that doesn't mean it's not important. We want our clients to use this knowledge to overcome the condition. This is the opposite to labeling someone. And more than that, it's a way of peeling off that label. We can, as a thought experiment, help our client personify 
and therefore externalize the OCD. And when something's outside of you, it's easier to leave it behind. So what arguments does it use to try to convince you to exhaust yourself and to waste your time? It's a question that externalizes the OCD. What are all the persuasion techniques it uses? What does it seem to promise you? What lies does it tell you? How does it waste your time? How does it do this to you? Removing the condition from the client's core identity is a key skill of any practitioner. Because when it's outside of their core identity, then they can leave it behind. It's also how we treat chronic smokers and other people wedded to pernicious addictions. So remember Kathy from the start of, the, of this uh, presentation. She told me that the OCD promised her that swallowing over and over would keep her safe. She, it, it promised her that checking over and over would give her surety. And she describes how the OCD lied and convinced her. And as she did, I could almost see it loosening its grip on her as she increasingly saw it as an imposter, not who she really was at all. It's a charming and convincing conniver, a parasite living off her real self. And I taught Kathy to become aware of it as something that was trying it on with her, but it was separate from her and she could detach from it. Each time she felt tempted to jump at the OCD's command, she would start to question it, and she found it quickly lost its power. It's like she no longer fed it anymore, and it started to shrivel up and, and go away. Externalization as a psychotherapeutic technique is as old as the hills. It's why we have stories that externalize patterns in the human psyche, laying them bare in seemingly disparate characters who are, in a sense, simply different aspects of the mind of the reader or the listener. So bearing in mind that strong feelings drive thoughts and not the other way around, try these techniques to calm feelings first. Teach the client to spot the underlying need the OCD was promising to meet and generate alternative and healthy ways to meet that need, the SALT method. Teach them to focus on and trust the observable reality of their senses over fantasy. Help them externalize the OCD and therefore more easily detach from it. And Kathy told me in her last session that she no longer uh, had to swallow compulsively or spend hours checking her door was locked or submit to any of the other compulsions that had been draining her precious life. It's like I'm living my life now and it's not living me, if that makes sense, she said. And it did make sense to me. So I hope you found that useful. I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and if you'd like to uh, subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unc.com slash blog.